This is Marriage to the Max, episode number 127. Well, hi, and welcome to another episode of Marriage to the Max. I'm your host, Kelly Hurst, and my husband, Brett, and I are marriage educators and co-founders of Home Encouragement, and this podcast is designed to help you take your marriage to the next level. Well, I promise you, Brett will be returning at some point. I don't usually do these episodes by myself, but we are just in an incredibly busy season right now. And so it is just really hard to find the time for both of us to be in the same office space to actually record a podcast episode, but we were a little behind in getting them out. So I didn't want any more time to go by. So I thought I would tackle this one on my own. So thanks for joining me today. So before we get into the episode, episode content, I just want to recommend a resource, and this is another book by Dr. John Gottman, and it's called The Science of Trust, which may not sound very sexy, but actually it's really great, and it includes some of what we're going to be talking about today. So today's episode is called Trust Building. And, you know, it's interesting. Brett and I have been talking with a lot of couples recently about the issue of trust. And most of us, I think, when we think about building trust or even rebuilding trust, it's easy to just think only of the big headline issues. Like, for example, the top of the list would probably include, you know, infidelity, you know, having an affair, cheating on your spouse, something like, you know, keeping big financial secrets, you know, or making big financial decisions without consulting your spouse, maybe a secret addiction like pornography or even substance abuse. These are kind of things that when they are found out, they are what I call million dollar breaches. I mean, they're, they're big things to get over, you know, not that you really get over them, but they're big things to recover from. And I think a lot of us, when we think about trust, we tend to think about those big issues, but this is what Gottman's book is about, is that every little thing we do every single day either builds trust or it diminishes trust. And I think that is what we really need to get our arms around when we're talking about how to have a healthy marriage. And none of it is really, you know, kind of rocket science. You know, the science of trust is the name of this book. And I guess there is a science to it. But when we really kind of break it down and talk about what components are involved, It's not something that, you know, I don't think any of us would just be like, oh, wow, I never thought about that. It's all stuff that we have thought about. We just don't always think about doing them. And so this idea of re kind of reframing trust to not just think about big issues and big breaking trust issues, but the little things, that's kind of what we want to focus on today. So Sue Johnson, who is the founder of EFT, which is Emotionally Focused Therapy, through her work and her research, she came up with an acronym 
for the word are, A-R-E. And basically, these are the things that need to be in place in a healthy relationship if we want to be building trust over time. So the first one in the acronym R is A, and it stands for accessibility. You know, are you accessible to your partner? Is your partner accessible to you? You know, can I reach you? Am I able to get in touch with you when we're not together? When we're not together, do I know where you are? You know, these are interesting things to navigate, particularly if both of you are working and maybe one of you is working in a field where, let's say you're in the medical field, and maybe your work requires you to be out of reach for a good chunk of time. You know, maybe you're with patients or I have a lot of friends who are therapists and they're seeing clients literally back to back all day long. You know, maybe you're in the military, like maybe you're an airline pilot. I mean, there's probably a number of vocations that during your typical workday, you may not be accessible to your spouse. And those conversations need to happen so that you can manage expectations. But you know, can I get in touch with you? Are you accessible to me? This is just kind of the basic idea here. And again, are you accessible to me when you are accessible to me? So I think about this one couple, he likes to play golf and plays two or three times a week. And part of the reason he loves to play golf is because it gives him a break from just work and even family and even his spouse. You know, he just has a little bit of me time built in there. And she was talking about how it's very difficult because she'll try to text him or call him while he's on the golf course. And he wouldn't text or call back until he was finished. And that was really frustrating to her. She felt like he was not being accessible. And so what they had to sort of agree on is, you know, he had to kind of explain to her, look, this is kind of my me time. I don't really want to have to be checking my phone every 10 minutes. And she said, but I want you to be accessible to me if I need you. So they agreed that after nine holes, he would pull his phone out of his golf bag and he would check to see if she had called or texted him and he would respond. And then he would put it away for the second nine or, you know, the last nine holes or whatever. I guess you call it the back nine. Anyway, so in other words, they navigated how he could have his alone time and kind of, you know, get his self-care in. And she could also feel like he was accessible. You know, so much of this is comes down to communication between couples and navigating how we do this, because as we've said a million times on this podcast, what works at our house may not work at your house. And every single, even though all of this is relational, universal truth, you know, every couple also has its own fingerprint and its own personality and style. So what's going to work for you? You know, for me, if Brett were to play golf and we're gone, I don't know even how long it takes to play 18 holes of golf. Maybe it, I don't even, four hours. I have no idea. But if he said to me, Hey, I need to be, you know, on the golf course for four hours. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'd be like, Hey, more power to you. Like that is not a need for me to have to have him accessible all the time. But this particular couple that I was talking about, that was a high need for her. So they had to sort of navigate what that was going to look like. But even when we're together in the same room, are you accessible to one another? You may think, well, we're sitting right next to each other or we're at dinner together. But I remember this one couple, 
this man had planned a really nice dinner for his wife's birthday, and he had gone to a lot of trouble. He had made the reservation for her favorite place. He got the babysitter lined up. He got her flowers. I mean, he was really, really looking forward to this nice dinner together. And she, you know, was very appreciative, but the whole time they were at dinner, she was picking up her phone and responding to texts. And after about the fourth or fifth one, he was like, come on, you know, can you just be accessible here to me? Like, can you be, can you be fully present? And she was saying, but these are all birthday wishes from family and friends. And I don't want them to think I'm not responding. So she would respond to every one of them. And it was, of course, disrupting their dinner and it just turned into a whole thing. But so this idea of being accessible to each other, it's foundational, but it's not just when we're apart. It's also our we being fully present and accessible when we're together, even in the same room. So some questions you might think of for this accessibility is, can you get your partner's attention easily? You know, or are you having to always sort of dig, 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 ask, ask, ask? Does your partner show that you come first for them? I think back to this really interesting interview that I heard years and years ago by the cosmetics entrepreneur, Bobby Brown, who's very well known in the you know beauty world. But years and years ago, her smallish company was purchased by you know a big cosmetics company like Revlon or Maybelline. I can't remember who it was, but I remember her telling the story of the day that she got the word that she was going to get to sell her company for, I'm sure it was multi-millions of dollars, huge, huge thing. She'd been working toward this for years. And she said, I made two, she said, there were two people that were at the top of my list that I wanted to give this news to. She said, it was my husband and it was my dad, because I think her dad had really kind of helped her develop her, her business chops and everything. And she said, but I never told either one of them who I called first. So her husband didn't know if he was the first call and her dad didn't know if he was the first call. And it was kind of just, I don't know, it's kind of a cute story as to just how much she loved her dad and her husband. But I don't know about as a spouse, I would probably think, oh, wow, really? I wasn't the first person you called. But, you know, just this idea that does your partner, you know, show you or that you come first for them. And then, you know, will your partner listen when you share your deepest feelings? That's part of being accessible, you know, it's not just in the good times, but in the difficult, you know, maybe deeper feelings time as well. So accessible is the A in the R acronym, and then responsive is what the R represents. And this is being able to rely on your partner during good times as well as bad times. You know, if I'm experiencing something difficult, does my mate know how to soothe me? If I'm experiencing something really great, does my mate know how to celebrate with me? You know, how do we respond to one another? You know, here's some questions to consider. If you need connection or comfort, will your partner be there for you? Does your partner respond to your signals that you need space or you need closeness? You know, do they respond well to either of those? Can you lean on your partner when you're anxious or unsure about something? This is this idea that, you know, when I make a bid for connection, which is another Gottman term that we've used a lot on the podcast, when I make a bid for connection, 
does my partner respond? Again, this is coming back to the little moments that we talk about all the time in a healthy relationship, but this is what building trust is. It's not just not sleeping with someone else. It's not just, you know, making joint financial decisions. It's all of these little, what some people may call intangibles, but of course they're not intangible. They're incredibly important for a long-term happy marriage. And then the last part of the acronym R, we have accessibility, we have being responsive, and then the E is engaged. Engaged with each other. Do you want to be with me? Do I want to be with my spouse? Do I want to be fully present, engaged, looking in the eye, giving full attention? Do you feel comfortable being close with your spouse? Is that something that you look forward to those times? Can you confide in your spouse about almost anything? Do you know that your spouse cares about your joys and your hurts and your fears? This idea of being accessible, being responsive, and being engaged is, again, those three things may almost sound like, you know, close cousins, but when you break them down, they really aren't. They're quite a bit different, the nuances of those things. But this idea, again, of being in a place where we're building trust in a, on an everyday basis. Again, you could call these little $1 ways of building trust. And then, of course, we have the opportunity to rebuild trust because sometimes we will break trust with each other. That's, you know, we're human beings. We may not break trust in a million dollar way. You know, Brett and I, thankfully, no one's had an affair in 34 years of marriage. That's a tremendous blessing. So we have not walked that road exactly, although we've, we feel like we've walked the road with a lot of couples, but we ourselves have not experienced that and had to rebuild from that place. And that's been a great blessing, but a lot of couples do have to rebuild trust. And maybe it's not around physical infidelity. Maybe it's around an emotional affair with someone, or maybe it's around, you know, financial mistrust or, you know, addiction or something like that. But there are five components that have to be present when you are rebuilding trust. One of them is honesty. You know, this is such a duh thing. And of course, honesty has to be part of building trust too, but certainly rebuilding trust. Transparency is another component to rebuilding trust. And it's funny, we live in a world now where the word transparency, you hear it a lot. You know, you hear it um, in corporate culture. You know, we want to be transparent. You hear it in politics. You know, we want to have an administration that's transparent. And it's funny because it's like we love the idea of transparency in theory, but when the rubber meets the road, are we really wanting to be completely transparent about everything? That's hard, but it's something that is essential, particularly if you're wanting to rebuild trust. And then the third component is accountability. Now, this is an interesting one because I feel like accountability is something that when you're building trust versus rebuilding trust. Accountability is something that you can, of course, do just with each other by yourselves in marriage, you know, just be accountable to each other. But when you're rebuilding trust, particularly around something, let's say like 
you know, one of the spouses has a pornography addiction or something and it's come to light and the, the marriage partner has, you know, found out about it and you're trying to sort of, you know, recover, go into recovery for this addiction. I don't know that the marriage partner, let's say the, the husband has the porn addiction. I don't know that it's necessarily wise for the wife to be the accountability partner for that, because that's going to be really hard for her to do. I mean, it's going to be troubling when he, if he relapses, it's just, I don't know, it's going to be really difficult. So there may be a different level of accountability for something like that, maybe a men's group or maybe a sex addiction support group or, you know, a mentor friend who comes alongside and who really kind of tries to hold accountability. Someone who is not emotionally involved in that and who's not going to be emotionally hurt by any kind of relapse or something like that. So I don't know, the accountability piece can be a little bit fragile if you're talking about rebuilding something like, you know, an addiction of some sorts. Um, So that may be something that you have to negotiate as a couple. But the bottom line is accountability has to be there or trust is really, really difficult to rebuild, maybe even impossible without accountability. And then the last two, so we have honesty, transparency, accountability, And then we have what's called ethical actions. You know, Brett and I say this to couples all the time. When you're trying to rebuild trust, really the only two things you can do are good behavior over time, good behavior over time. And the interesting thing about that is you cannot short circuit, you can't shortcut that. It's good behavior one day at a time, one day at a time on top of another day at a time to where you look back and you go, oh, wow, we've had a year of good behavior. That's been helpful to lay a new foundation of trust, but you can, there's no shortcut to it. There just isn't. And so it's interesting when we work with couples who are particularly when they're dealing with a fair recovery, it's funny, not funny, haha, but interesting that the unfaithful spouse, when the the discovery happens, you know, whether that person has confessed or been found out, you know, however it comes to light, a lot of times the unfaithful spouse, you know, particularly if they've kind of had this light bulb aha moment of, oh my gosh, I actually love my wife or I actually love my husband. I don't want to be with this affair partner. I don't want to mess up my marriage. Let me, you know, they're oftentimes very, very contrite and very, very sorry for what they've done. And oftentimes you'll hear language like, I'm, you know, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to prove it to you. Oh, you know, take me back. I'll do anything. And it's funny. They'll lay out some things around accountability, around ethical actions and and transparency and honesty. And oftentimes a month in, you know, they'll be like, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I just went to the store after on my way home from work and the hurt spouse is like, yeah, but you didn't tell me where you were going. And so for an hour, I didn't know where you were. And all of a sudden I was freaking out thinking, you know, you were cheating on me again. It's, it's just such a difficult thing. And so this idea of, you know, a month ago saying, I'll do anything, I'll do anything. And then all of a sudden when the rubber meets the road and it's actually time to practice accountability and transparency, it can be really, really hard. So I think the good behavior piece too, for me, requires a couple to be in full agreement around what that good behavior is. So we've known couples who literally you know, the unfaithful spouse has agreed to literally call or text their spouse 
from point A to point B. So, you know, I'm going to work, boom. You know, I'm going to lunch with so-and-so, boom. I'm leaving work now. I'll be home in 25 minutes, boom. Like from, from literally every point. But the idea is that they've agreed to do that. And I think that's what's important because if the hurt spouse in particular thinks that ethical actions look like one thing and the unfaithful partner doesn't think that's necessary, then they're just going to get in arguments all the time around, you know, well, you're nagging me or you're, you know, you don't trust me, da 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 Well, duh, they don't trust you because the trust has been broken and it takes so long to build that back. But the idea here is, I think, you know, to take a, something from the Holy Scriptures is to let your yes be yes and your no be no. You know, if you say you're stopping off at the store on the way home from work, stop off at the store and come straight home. You know, having integrity, you know, it means to be integrated. It means that our actions are what we say they are. So for me, I don't want to have integrity gaps in my life. I want to be a person who does what I say I will do when I say I will do it in the way that I promised I would. And do I do that 100% of the time? Absolutely not. I mess up all the time. I disappoint people all the time. But I want to be the kind of person that if I do have an integrity gap and I haven't kept my word about something, I want to make amends. I want to take responsibility. So if I promised someone I would turn something in and on a deadline and I miss it, I need to be like, hey, that was my fault. I'm so sorry. I you know, was late with that or whatever. So we have honesty, transparency, accountability, ethical actions, and then the last one is proof of alliance. And what this means is, how do I demonstrate to you that you have an ally in me? How do I prove on a daily basis that you and I are on the same team? That's what proof of alliance means. You know, there are times when you are going through a rebuilding of trust when you just have bad days and that's all there is to it. You know, it's three steps forward, sometimes three steps forward, five steps back sometimes. That's when you really need to remind each other, you know what, I know we're not doing great today, but I just want you to know I love you and I am committed and I'm, you know, on board. We're on the same team. I'm really wanting to be that person that you can trust again. I think that's what proof of alliance looks like for most people. Just it's that reassurance. It's that, you know, don't get too far untethered from me when I really need to rely on you and depend on you. And it goes back to Sue Johnson's idea of the ARE, you know, being accessible, being responsive, and being engaged. So I really hope this has been good content for you, particularly if you're in a a place where you are trying to rebuild trust with each other. It can take a long time. It really can. And some days you just wonder, gosh, is this person even worth my time, you know, trying to rebuild this thing? But if you are married to someone who is a good-willed person who is, you genuinely feel that they are trying to rebuild trust with you, then when you have those bad days, those difficult days, just let them sort of fall away if you can to where until you can get to the next good day. And don't be discouraged because rebuilding trust takes a very long time. It is very, 
very hard work. And what we say to couples a lot is whether we're talking about an affair or anything else is, even if you were to decide today to divorce and go find someone else to be married to, you would still need to do the work of rebuilding trust, no matter who you're with, because you've been hurt, or maybe you are the person who hurt your spouse. But the idea is that your individual work has to happen either way. So if you love the person that you're with, even if you don't trust them again, give it a little bit of time, give it a little bit of the hard work and see maybe where you are. You might feel very, very differently in a few weeks or months or year or so. So I hope this has been helpful to you. And I really hope that Brett will be back with me on our next episode. So if you would like to contact us, you can find us at marriagetothemax.org. If you're enjoying Marriage to the Max, help us keep it going by supporting Home Encouragement. That is our nonprofit. Just go to homeencouragement.org and click the donate button any amount, of course, helps. And really, we would love for you to write a review and give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps more people find Marriage to the Max. Well, thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, remember, healthy marriage, healthy world. God bless y'all.